Hello, hello, hello. My name is Jacob Miranda, an advanced doctoral student in the Experimental Psychology program here at the University of Alabama, where I have a concentration in social psychology. And I'm Cassie Witt, a pedagogical assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at Western Kentucky University. Together, we are the hosts of Corrupting the Youth, a podcast about the teaching of psychology. If you love psychology, education, or both, then this is the podcast for you. Hello, 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 beautiful people. Uh, we're back and we are still alive. Did on you this miss lo- us? <laughs> Did you miss- it's Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> we decided that it was Valentine's Day, a day of love, and you're like, we love our community more than anything. No, too much, laying it on too thick. Yeah, Cassie's just shaking her head. It's a little bit. too much. A little too much. <laughs> but no, um, we uh, we had, if you uh, didn't notice, we had a brief hiatus. But we're back now. Maybe not better than ever. Um. <laughs> uh... Maybe, but maybe not. I'm like, wait, what's going on with you, Cassie? I'm like, I think my life's going pretty well right now. Oh, yeah. No, life is good. Life is good. Speaking of life, I think that's a beautiful transition to kind of how you and I wanted to do this episode. Um, because as you know, normally we kind of come in with like some sort of topic, right? So we might come in with a perspective like teaching while being LGBT or like mm-hmm. if you're prepping a class or a philosophy or something like how to create change uh this time around because we're kind of getting our feet back in the water again right so just jumping straight back into the pool we're easing our way into it um you and i discussed that it might be better to kind of like go over life and specifically like what's been going on in our lives and why has there been a delay and you know just good things and maybe not so good things yeah. um yeah we um it's been a while since we've done things like Roses and Thorns. I feel like in season one, like our early episodes, we were pretty good about like talking about ourselves and what was going on in our lives. We like have like a Who Are We episode that desperately needs to be updated. I think in that one, I'm still saying I'm a grad student, uh, which is no longer true and will soon not be true for you as well. So we figured with this one, we would just talk about ourselves some. (laughs) So instead of having some big philosophical discussion or an interview or something like that, just kind of catch you guys up, our lovely listeners, with what's been going on in our lives. Especially because I think like the best kinds of podcasts or even classes and stuff too are when you feel like you have some idea of like what the person is like that you are listening to. Um, and I feel like we've been a little disconnected from our audience in that way. And I would agree with that, right? Um, and kind of the whole point of this episode is like why we we feel that way. Um, also, it's definitely not because we finished our backlog of recorded interviews and we're like, oh, we should probably continue posting. <laughs> if we're being perfectly honest. Um, but you're right. It has been a while since it's just been you and me and just to talk. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, I love our guests, don't get me wrong, from John Gore to Summer Braun to Bill Chopik. I think everyone's been amazing so far, and that's been fun. Um, but, yeah, we've we've been busy. You and I have both been very busy, which everyone always says, right? And maybe that's just as life ebbs and flows, right? Starting a podcast and then continuing a podcast is 
not necessarily unexpected life events come, but even like expected lives come and we might underestimate how much time they would take. Yeah. Um, and particular, there was that kind of like that lull for about three months, I would say, like starting around like October, Halloween season up till like the new year. So like Christmas, January, I think is where you and I took the biggest lull. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think it was just a lot of it was us engaging in that good old planning fallacy where we grossly underestimated how time consuming having a podcast could be. And I think we're both in such big kind of transition periods in our lives, you know, finishing up grad school, like both of us, like recently on the job market, starting new positions. Those are also things that require a whole lot of time and, and energy and, and cognitive capacity. So the podcast did, it got, it got put on the back, back burner a little bit. Definitely. And I think this was because we've completed a full year cycle because I think we started in January mm-hmm. of 2022, right? This was also our first holiday season, and the holidays just also generally get busy. You're spending time with your family on Christmas. I'm flying around, seeing some old friends, and so that kind of got a bit hectic as well. Um, but you've kind of hinted at something, um, and this idea of being on the job market. So, yeah. Uh, before I even continue on that job market, I just want to note that there might be a slight list with my S's, folks. I apologize for that. Because uh, first, personal life update, orthodontists have had braces. <laughs> uh, and the, for adults, they're like, it can take up to two years, right? But for adults, because teeth can slowly, it can maybe take a max of three. Folks, I'm in my third and a half year. And they've just said, hey, this is the most stubborn teeth we have ever seen. One, no. I don't want to be number one. I swear he said that. He's like, uh, he's like, I've never seen teeth move this slow. And so what they did is actually they glued essentially like bumper ramps behind my teeth. And they basically like drilled and stripped the bottom, like the space in between my teeth as two methods to help, I guess, gently push the correction. And so I basically have these bumpers that are typically in normal treatment put on at the beginning stages in the last nine months is now being put out in that three and a half year mark. And I'm like, how much longer is this going to take? Um, and so Cassie, I'm not sure. Did we talk immediately after I got it? Like, obviously there was pain. I couldn't chew up. But man, I sounded like Daffy Duck for a good um, first week to 10 days. The list was bad. Like, this is the now new and improved. My mouth was accommodated to it. Yeah. Man, it was like talking to like a toddler slash Daffy. Uh, well, since I have... um dental insurance finally I like went to the dentist uh, back in December I guess trigger warning if you don't want to hear like, <laughs> you know, about our dental health are okay. <laughs> yeah. um, so I went to the dentist and like got some like work done um, for the first time in years and she was basically like uh, girl do you like clench your jaw and grind your teeth and I was like yeah you know I do that chronic stress and she was like you have a bunch of stress fractures in your teeth from like clenching your jaw so hard and so now I have a fancy like personalized night guard that also makes me sound like Daffy Duck when I talk (laughs) so you know 
It's like Honey Boo Boo Child Girl. No, that bad. <laughs> just very was like, Gen Z. <laughs> just yeah. Like, <laughs> well, no, like the I, I actually I love my dentist. I love going to the dentist. Um, this one in particular, she's like super cool. Um, she's around my age, I'm guessing. Um, but they've got like all this like fancy new dental technology. Like I could see she showed me like videos that they recorded like in my mouth like of like the stress fractures like under specific lighting and stuff and so you saw like what cracks in your teeth yeah oh god yeah so trying to (laughs) not clench my jaw so much if anyone has any tips let me know hey at least you're under stress you're like yeah (laughs) (laughs) so it's like when people say stress affects the body they're not lying they're not lying (laughs) who would have thought right (laughs) Oh, but yeah, I can't believe though that you have had your braces for so long. I remember when you got them on. Yeah, I got them. I moved here my very first year, like what, August? Yeah. And I got braces that same year, like what, months after in October, I think. Yeah. Or September. Like it was like immediately after I moved because I wanted to get braces as soon as possible. So by the time I graduated, I'd be like, oh, cool. Oh, uh, they, they, you know, they take the pre and post pictures, and it's supposed to be like, here's how you look at the start of the stage, and here's how you look at afterwards, right? And it's supposed to be like this wow factor and this, whoa, yeah. it's so cool. Uh, when they pull up your record to set up an appointment, you can see them pull up your profile, and that profile shows that pre photo, like when they first took it. Sweetie, I was like 40 pounds skinnier. I had luscious curly hair. Oh, do you remember I don't that? Charm. I was like, damn, boy. I wasn't bald and I wasn't as fat. And I was like, ah, COVID really did a number on my ass. When, when they say stress affects the body. <laughs> stress affects the body. <laughs> and that, folks, is what we call a callback. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, you're still gorgeous. One thing I am excited for, because I'm starting to get, I like, I like, start, I'm starting to like going to a dentist, even when I was here, I was afraid of it. Mm-hmm. I'll like it a lot more when I don't, when I actually have like dental. Because um, apparently, like, you know, when you become faxy, you actually have like, hey, there's some yeah. coverage. You don't have a ground student health insurance. Yeah. Um, and so kind of the big news I have is that starting in, starting in October, that's kind of why we took the break. I've actually been on the job market. I've had a series of job interviews as well as a series of job offers and acceptances um, where people like want me. Um, and that was very exciting, especially because, you know, you and I come from like an open science background. We come from uh, not getting 20 papers published in five years, but maybe getting like two or three papers that are big team science or, you know, done slowly and i hopefully right not always but like we try to like make it higher quality to compensate for the lower quantity Mm -hmm. um and you know people tend to tell you or at least people told me um even our peers right outside of our lab it's like that's that's a gamble for social psychology because publications are still the name of the game i mean we had a whole episode based on like the incentive system of like pubs 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 Mm -hmm. um and so I think it's really exciting that even though it's a case study of two, you and I, right? We're we're not the mo- we're not like pumping out thirty papers, but uh, apparently we're both very highly desirable on the job market. Um, all this to say is I've actually accepted and will now become a tenured or on the tenure track faculty position for California 
State University, East Bay. So I'm returning to my Californian roots and I'm going up to NorCal by the Bay Area and I couldn't be happier with the department. Uh, all this to say is that the other job offers I got, I will say I've never felt, it was never easy to tell them no because every place I met was just, they're just nice people, right? Like yeah. at an interpersonal level, it's yeah. like, yeah, these are just sweet people. I could see myself working here, there, or the other. Um, and what it really just came down to is that one, Cal State East Bay being my home state of California, and it's just also close to like certain family members. Yeah. And so it feels weird that it wasn't necessarily like, I, you know, it wasn't like the people at Institution A were like these awful people or they're mean people or even red flags. It's like, I think you're funny as heck and we're laughing great. Mm-hmm. But maybe like the location is as ideal as we'd like it to be. Yeah. So like that was definitely a new experience. And that was a stressful experience, right? Because sometimes you can get like a job offer in one area and it's like, well, do I accept this surefire thing? Or do I actually tell the surefire thing no and hopes of getting a better location? And so suddenly like it's this weird game that you're playing of like it's like risk management. You're like picks up the risk is if you lose, you don't have a career setup. And so that was extremely stressful for those few months. But yeah. right around Christmas time, I got the call from East Bay. And I was like, yes. And they're like, are you sure we did? We just called you. Do you like want a week? To- oh <laughs> I was like, no, yes. Uh, which is very similar to how I accepted the graduate position here for Alexa oh, when she called me. And it was like, um, yes. Um, well, I just want to say that I am just so proud of you. And I know that East Bay was definitely like at the top of your list. And I think it's so awesome that you had the option, you know, to turn down positions though, and ultimately got the job that you, you really wanted, like close to family, like back in your home state. And I just can't wait to see what you do. I know. Well, thank you, Cassie. Which I'm, yeah. choo, choo, choo. Yeah. I'm joining the Big Boys Club with dental. Yeah. <laughs> and now you get dental insurance. <laughs> now I get dental insurance. So, yeah, that was kind of thing, being on the job market and getting hired. Um, but I guess I'm not the only one with big news. Apparently, someone's been working on this registered report for quite a while that's oh. finally paid off. Yes. So... I have been working on a registered report project, oh my god, since 2018 was when I like first started working on this project. Um, I think we got stage one acceptance in 2020. Like, I I think it, yeah, I think it was like right before the pandemic hit. Like early 2020, we got like stage one acceptance. And so it was like, oh, we're going to do data collection. Like all of that's going to happen. And then, of course, like with COVID, um, Alabama stopped like requiring the research participation. And then when things started back up, um, there were like fewer credits required for intro students to get. And so data collection took forever. Um, but we finally finished that, wrote up the stage two manuscript, got it submitted, accepted with minor revisions. (laughs) Yeah, the revisions, I was so excited. It was, it was honestly just like, change the wording of this in this one sentence, and then make sure that you've actually changed everything to past tense. 
Oh, was, gotcha. I still, yeah, sometimes I get messed up on attendances as well. Yeah. And yeah. with the with the registered report too, um, it's challenging because the the way it's set up is like you're not allowed to, once you get stage one acceptance, at least this is how it is. Um, the paper is being published in comprehensive results in social psychology. Um, and at least- Say that one more time, listeners. Oh. <laughs> <Citation>. um, <laughs> Comprehensive results in social psychology. Wit uh, 2023. <laughs> yeah, wit 2023. I'm gotcha. the first. I'm the the first author on the paper. Um, what was I saying? Oh, anyway, so for CRISP, the way that it is is like once you get stage one acceptance, when you write up your stage two manuscript, they're like, don't touch, like the intro and and methods and stuff. Like this is what you said you were gonna do. This is like all of the information you provided. And so it has to stay the way that it is. Um, and so I think really I, I kind of neglected to go back and change things throughout that. Like, oh, it- so because they're so big on yeah. don't you add like yeah, don't, content wise. Yeah, like don't add the stuff. tense wise don't be yeah. fixed up. Yeah. So, um, but yes, very exciting. So it's, um, not like out yet but we can share on our socials and stuff it's a paper i'm very very proud of again like you were saying earlier for like being researchers who are like more open science oriented um which is kind of a gamble as a social psychologist where you know that publish and perish kind of mentality is very very strong um this is a paper that i mean i at least think is very high quality um, research and as a registered report also very much aligned with all of those open science things that I value as a researcher as well so very very excited to have this publication out in the world and also very excited to like do some follow-up studies definitely and maybe it would behoove people because we also have besides just our general audience I think we also just have friends who are like non-academics who support us yeah. and just listen to listen uh, maybe like defining that type of like what is a registered report and like maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong but like for someone who was like wait how does science work right mm-hmm. typically how traditionally science has worked is people might have a theory they might have some hypotheses uh, they then collect the data they analyze the data they write up a report they submit it to a journal and the journal can then say one, we accept your manuscript with some revisions or we reject your manuscript. Um, the flaw in this flow of logic is, one, if there is a critical error in the design or the variables, or if there's something wrong with the study, right, but no one ever told you or you're just kind of like working on your own or you never got that initial feedback before you collect a data, you might have collected maybe a thousand participants, but if the design is flawed, that really hurts general journals' willingness to accept it, right? Because now mm-hmm. it's based on a bad foundation. Yeah. Um, and so that tied in with almost the idea of sometimes people will say or hark, they hypothesize after results are known that they know they knew it all along, right? So sometimes someone will just run a study with no specific prediction. They find a significant result. And after the fact, they're like, let me build a story around this. Kind of what Cassie's talking about is she's undergone a registered report that one combines the idea of making your predictions um, very clear upfront and documented, but also 
rather than once you create your study, you immediately start collecting data, you actually submit the idea of the procedures and the variables to a journal. And you're saying, hey, before I collect this data, one, is this an interesting enough question? Two, am I testing the question where I'm actually answering it well enough? Uh, so that regardless of what the results are, significant or not significant, if there is an effect or there is an effect, knowing the answer is worthwhile. And right. so what Cassie has basically accomplished is something really, really cool. And she's kind of like been building up thing because she hasn't talked about exactly what the Richard Report is. But like what you said, 2020 was the stage one approval. Like mm -hmm. in 2020, they basically said, we love your idea. We love your procedures. If you run this study, we promise we will publish it regardless of what the outcome is. Yep. So I'm not sure, are you able to share with the listeners of kind of like what the R is, like the DL, or do you want to hold it off until it's formally? Sure. No, I can talk about it. Um, so what was the great idea that they're like, we need to we need to know the answer to this question? Yeah. So the study was focused on the phenomenon of co confirmation bias. So this tendency that human beings have to only want to expose themselves to information that's consistent with what they already believe. Um, and another really critical part of confirmation bias um, is what is known as biased assimilation, where people are also really good at looking at information that's inconsistent with their beliefs, um, but spinning it so that it can actually support their position. Um, so like as an example of confirmation bias, say that you have someone who thinks that climate change isn't real. Um, so like this would be a person who like if they're doing a Google search, they're probably only going to click on articles or links that have, you know, titles that confirm what they already think, right? That climate change isn't a problem that we need to be concerned about. Um, or if they do like somehow like encounter a study or research that supports the idea that climate change is a serious concern, then they're probably going to be really good at, you know, spinning it so that the quality of that evidence isn't good. So they shouldn't trust it anyway. So their belief can be maintained in the end. Um, and so for many reasons, confirmation bias is like problematic, uh, especially because it means that it limits the perspectives that people get exposed to, um, limits knowledge in many ways. There's like serious epistemic consequences. And so in this particular study, we were interested in potential ways to mitigate or reduce confirmation bias. And so we looked at three different debiasing techniques. Um, and these were things that had previously been looked at in the literature on confirmation bias, but the results were pretty inconclusive um, in terms of do they actually work or not. And so some of the methods that we used to try and reduce confirmation bias, one of them was just like a basic psychoeducation condition. So we had people read about what confirmation bias was, and we gave them examples of what confirmation bias looked like. We also had a condition um, that was like a consider the opposite, which was very much a perspective taking manipulation, where we asked people to like imagine that someone had a view that was different than their own and to generate arguments like logical quality arguments from the other side. Um, like, again, as a person 
directive taking kind of task. And then the final manipulation that we had was a social norms manipulation where we lied to participants and we told them that people who had the same belief as them exposed themselves to counter attitudinal information. So it's like, hey, people who believe in the same thing as you, they go out and they like expose themselves to, you know, articles and readings and things that are against your belief. So really, really quick, and some uh-huh. for like my small brain, you know, I have a very smooth brain. <laughs> uh, you're try, you've identified confirmation bias, and not just you, but like wide wave literature is like confirmation bias is pretty problematic, right? And you basically, you're testing three possible solutions that have been thrown out there. One is essentially like just just doing general like a psych class. Here's a definition. Can we teach you or psychoeducation about this, right? Like right. here is what this bias is. Here's how this bias occurs. People are biased in this way. And so there's that knowledge. Like by having that knowledge, does yes. that help? So just Two by virtue. Like the, oh, go. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, so just by virtue. Yeah, so the manipulations are very much. So just by virtue of knowing what confirmation bias is, psychoeducation, is that going to reduce confirmation bias? And then if you take the perspective of someone with a different belief. Which can, is kind of like what teachers ask their students to do, right? Yes. Right. They're like, well, play devil's advocate or like maybe like for class debates, they force people, mm-hmm. you know, to try to widen their perspective for like, you know, really get a full to try to be less biased. Essentially, right. Teachers often tell students, you know, right. As if you believe in the opposite and that'll give you like this greater, you know, this clearer picture of what the truth is. Yeah. Yeah. And so part of our rationale for um, including definitely like this perspective taking task and then basic psychoeducation are because those are typically the most common ways that bias is addressed. It's like, oh, we want to reduce bias in people. Um, and so we're going to teach them about the bias and then we're going to have them do some sort of perspective taking activity. And so really like figuring out, do those things actually work? is incredibly important. And so, and then the third manipulation that we had was that social norms manipulation. And so social norms manipulations aren't necessarily a new thing, um, but looking at how they can affect specifically confirmation bias is, was really like kind of the novel aspect of, of our study. So we like um, had these three different conditions and then we were targeting kind of the two components of confirmation bias that I was talking about earlier. So one of them being that bias dissimilation component where you can essentially like turn any sort of like counter evidence, um, counter attitudinal evidence into like support for like what you already believe. Um, And so in that particular like bias dissimilation measure, we asked people to evaluate two different hypothetical studies um, or like not hypothetical fake studies. Um, we just like made made them up. One of them was like in support of what they believed, and one of them was not in support of what they believed. And then we like had them rate like the quality of those studies. So the hypothesis being that participants will rate the studies that were um, consistent with their belief as being of higher quality, significantly higher quality. Um, and then the other component of confirmation bias we were looking at was selective exposure. So that component of confirmation bias where it's like, oh, people only want to consume information that confirms a belief that they already had. And so for that, we like gave participants the option to like read different real news articles 
uh, we manipulated the change the titles of some of them a little bit just to be like more clear, like in support of what they believed or not in support of what they believed. Um, so like we then looked to see, you know, how many articles they were selecting to read that were belief consistent and how many that were belief inconsistent. Um, and so ultimately, like what we found was that bias assimilation part of confirmation bias, it's really hard to, to change that. Um, like none of the manipulations are really effective at targeting bias assimilation, but at least for the selective exposure component, um, the only manipulation that seemed to like reduce confirmation bias as selective exposure, right? That particular operationalization was the social norms condition. So it seems that psychoeducation, it seems that perspective taking, these really, really common forms of debiasing aren't that effective at actually reducing bias. But social norms does seem to be something you can capitalize on, right? So just basic social influence. If you tell people like people like you do this, then it does seem that you know, people will will listen to that. They'll pay attention to that. Yeah, it's novel. It's exciting, and you at least have one avenue to talk about at least one component mm-hmm. of this motivated reasoning. Yeah, yeah. So we're super super excited about it. It was it's a project again. Like we we started in 2018. Um, I was in my second semester of the PhD program when I started working on this project. Um, so to kind of see it like concluded in my like first year as a faculty member is like, whoa, I really have come full circle. So I love it. It's beautiful. Yeah. Time sure passes weird. It does. Um, Speaking of time passing, another big life update for me. I turned 30 last week. <laughs> hey. Yeah. So, I've been dealing with um, the mortality salience of that. <laughs> oh, wow. 30s, 30. Listen, I think the marker, actually the marker of getting older is when you start seeing seeing the next decade above you is not that old. Like for me now, I'm like in my late 20s and I'm like, mm, 30s, 30s are so young. I know. Right? And as soon as I start thinking like, wow, 40 years old, what a young lad just barely blooming in life but yeah i'm now like oh you know 30s 30s are the new 20s totally (laughs) oh goodness it just it doesn't feel like i distinctly remember being like a kid even like a teenager and being like 30 is old and now i am 30 happy to be here happy to be here for sure um but it just, it's like one of those things where it's like, eh, you know, I'm never going to get old. And then you keep aging. The years yeah. keep passing. Yeah, you're now 30. And I think since last we recorded the podcast around that break we had, I've also gone a year older. Now I'm like 27. Yep. So I'm right there behind you, old lady. I know you right are. There behind you. We'll celebrate big though. But yes, happy, happy, slightly belated birthday. Um, from today and from whenever anyone listens to this yeah just know february is the month of cassie yeah i'm an aquarius obviously <laughs> obviously <laughs> uh yeah uh, it was it was a good birthday though um my partner and I, yeah my partner and i well i turned 30 on a wednesday 
so I had to teach and all that good stuff, meetings and work. And then the weekend following though, so this past weekend at the time of recording this episode, uh, my partner rented us like a little cabin, like right outside Nashville. So we had like a little weekend getaway. Uh, We spent some time like doing some stuff in Nashville and then just like hanging out at the cabin, like building fires and all that fun So cute. It really was. Getting close and close to your cottage core dream. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. Cabin in the woods. So yeah. Yeah. It was a good time. Good. We're going to have to post some pictures of that. Yeah. Because they looked very cute with like the, the cakes and I saw sparklers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. So we bought, we like ran to Target and they had, we were looking for birthday candles for the cake. And then they had like these sparklers and I was like, why not get sparklers that say 30? Um, and then the cake, there was like a mishap with that. It was like a, a frozen tiramisu from Trader Joe's. And we put it in the fridge like the day before. And then we read the directions and it was like, you only need to thaw it for like an hour, two hours max. And so it had kind of melted. And so we Oof. were... We stuck the sparklers in, and when we lit the sparklers in the the tiramisu, it they just kind of you can kind of see in the picture I posted on Instagram, like they just started like falling. Is and that I was why like, it looks like you're crying? You're like, yeah, oh I God. just I just like started having visions of like Smoky Bear being like, only you can prevent the fires. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I can't set this bar or this uh, cabin on fire, this forest, but that did not happen (laughs) i'm glad i'm still catastrophizing at 30 years old (laughs) yeah listen you're gonna get what's called those dental fractures if you keep doing that (laughs) yes i'm trying to think of other big updates i know that probably the biggest one is or maybe not the biggest but like availability heuristic um was as of midnight last night on good old february 13th the day before valentine's day I, although I saw polished, have completely drafted from introduction to list of tables and dependencies over a hundred page la- uh, pages later, my dissertation, and so that's that's been really exciting. Um, specifically because uh, I started February first because January thirty first at midnight my data collection ended, um, and over a thousand participants later. We have a data, um, and what's probably most exciting about it is based on kind of what I've heard, the norm for dissertation research is that a lot of people who make the predictions or hypotheses that they do, um, often those hypotheses aren't supported for a variety of reasons, right? If they're smaller samples or if the th- you know, theory maybe didn't pan out. And so kind of what I've normally heard is like prepare that for anything that you predicted to be wrong. And then also think about like how you're going to discuss why it may or may not um, have been supported. And so basically I pre-registered hypotheses way back in September, 2022. And there was a list of 16 hypotheses. Um, And essentially when I ran the data and it took like, you know, hours upon hours of coding and it was a very complicated design and whatnot. And so just getting the data cleaning was a freaking nightmare the first few days. Um, As Cassie knows, I just pulled up all-nighters. When I was able to finally run the analyses, I was essentially a 16 for 16 on being correct for all the hypotheses I had, which scared me at first because I'm just (laughs) saying, come on, you know, if you're like the data is telling you exactly what 
you yeah. want to see yeah that's like uh like, mm, did you hacked? do something yeah it's like wait and i was like this is like quite literally like ten thousand plus lines of code and i'm like surely i made a mistake elsewhere or somewhere amongst us or i calculated a variable wrong yeah but like everything's on the up and up and i like i said i have a timestamp document i'm like here's what i said was gonna happen it all exactly happened the way i thought it would I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm incredibly jealous because I was definitely one of those grad students where none of my hypotheses in my dissertation were supported oh, for reasons what? I've already talked about. Yeah, but you and I maybe need to have an episode of like, you know, as being teachers, we also do research on the side, mm-hmm. which is like handling data quality or handling student data quality. It's something Data quality is something, I mean, I've always thought about, but since my dissertation study, like I think about data quality all the time Same. and like in studies that I'm like designing right now I'm like how can I build in as many data quality checks as possible for my dissertation stuff because of your dissertation where you had to exclude so many people I was at least prepared on my end that I powered the study to say hey okay I need 1200 people because and that means I had to collect 20 Ultimately, it was a little bit more of around 2,400 people. Yeah. And normally, I don't think anyone would ever recommend doubling the amount of people that you think you'll need. But like like you said, with just like student data quality, like because of your dissertation, like you had to exclude so many people for not paying attention. Yeah. And I also had to exclude over half my participants. Yeah. Still, it met the criteria that I planned out, but like that in of itself is insane. Well, <laughs> like what? Yeah. I mean, I am glad at least like what I went through allowed you to prepare um, because I too had to exclude like over half of my participants. And then my final sample was just way smaller than it needed to be. And, you know, my committee was extremely gracious about it, but it still was like a really shitty thing to go through. Like I distinctly remember, um, you know, like running the code to do exclusions and coming back with like 200 some participants and being like what did I do wrong and then spending hours like rewriting this line of code because I was like this can't be right and it was and then you know I just remember like calling Alexa our our PhD advisor and just like crying right I called for anyone who's listening like oh just imagine like planning the study for so long and at face value, having so many raw data points to begin with, but as soon as you even put like an ounce of scrutiny, if they were paying attention and you realize that the vast majority won't, yeah. that's heartbreaking. That's like, yeah. that's I very mean, disheartening to say the least, to be like, y'all just pay attention. <laughs> it's also one of those things too, where it's like, again, kind of, not to like toot our own horns or whatever, but like thinking about one. We would to- never do that. <laughs> That's what this whole episode is. <laughs> True. But, but uh, thinking about like wanting to produce like high quality research, I had so many like attention checks and stuff built into my study. And it's like, imagine if I, I didn't have those quality checks in my research, like would I have run my analyses with like my over, like, 1200 some participants? Yeah. Like would my hypotheses have been supported? Maybe. Right. But it would have been terrible data quality. It, my results wouldn't have meant anything. So I don't know. It's a, something that keeps me up at night. 
so it, like ultimately, yeah ultimately I would rather have like written up my dissertation like it is what it is like at this point um with like that really small sample but like I would rather have like some 200 data points that are like meaningful data points than you know however yeah. many I had to exclude and people blindly taking it impossibly fast or mm-hmm. not responding in a variable way or just yeah, yeah. and yeah, it's just doing it's, obvious things that show that they didn't read what they were supposed to or do what they were supposed to yeah and it's so frustrating because I mean like you're saying like your dissertation is like a really meaningful project and it's like something you invest so much of your your time and your energy into right it's the culmination of like your graduate education and like for my project too like it was something it is still something right I'm running like follow-up studies now but it's something that I care about a whole lot and so then to just really not even be able to meaningfully answer the research questions that I was asking because I didn't have the data that I needed was so frustrating right because then the whole discussion is framed around not sure how to interpret the data because of the lower power or like lower power yeah. than expected. Yeah. Yeah. And even with me finding the sniffing results that I did, like I also am trying, at least in the draft, of like being extremely conscientious of like constantly saying like this is a single study ran once and you know any single study right tells us nothing, which I generally believe, right? Like you need replications you need multiple attempts you need conceptual replications of trying operationalizing in different ways and so like my whole thing is like here are the implications and then i'm like possible implications assuming people do what they're supposed to and replicate what they're supposed to replicate yeah um but yeah i i I feels for you on that one yeah but yeah i don't know what it is about dissertations and maybe it's obvious to some people but like I've talked with some people and they, they point out from like an objective standpoint, all a dissertation is, or at least how we do ours is, it's like any other study except with a little bit more me, right? So like if you were going to get a study published in a journal, all you can think of dissertation is it's a bit of a bulkier introduction, right? So maybe journals have word limits and you have to be a little bit more concise. It's a bulkier introduction. It's a little bit bulkier, not even necessarily like methodology, um, it's a bulkier discussion where you talk about like not just a few primary analyses and like what is the main crux of data, but maybe even the exploratory stuff. And you just also have a bunch of appendices and tables that in a journal would just be supplementary. Right. But like if you actually think about it, it's like, well, you're just writing another paper and you're doing another study. But it being called a dissertation and it being kind of just so intimately tied with the if you fail this, you don't get credentials, but if you pass this, you do. Like you said, I don't know. It's just, it's more personal that way, right? Like your dissertation yeah. is our baby. That's, and maybe people feel about that about all the research projects, but like our dissertation is like our favorite child, maybe. It's, yeah. like, it's like our favorite FI. I feel like if any of us look at our dissertations 10 years from now, we're going to be like, oh, God, then <laughs> oh, what did I do there? I mean, but like, honestly, it was still the baby. Yeah. It was the first. <laughs> I know that that's probably the reaction I'm going to have. Uh, I look back on like, my like thesis project that I did like as an undergrad and as a master's student and I'm like oh oh I felt that same way for my master yeah oh I dichotomized a continuous variable oh, oh my god oh. yes <laughs> I was like why no I trichotomized I'm like why the fuck would I oh, oh. what was <laughs> for anyone who's not stats like, what are you talking yeah, about? like, like look at all those different <laughs> scores oh 
Oh God! If I ever look back in the past paper, I'm not sure. I don't think I've this, but if I ever put like this is marginally significant, so I would be like, I would die of cringe. I'm like, no, Jacob, why would you? I think this has been a good catch up episode. I think so too. Like I said, we've been, you know, you've been, fu- and also you've just been. Technically, this is now your second semester teaching, so you actually wrapped up your full first semester's faculty. I did. So, like, we have gone through a lot. We've grown a lot. I will say you're absolutely right what you started us off with, though. We probably need to re-record of who are we, because now there's new affiliations. Our intro, like, we updated our intro once when you went to your new institution, but I'm like, I'm a doctoral candidate. You're like, no, we got hooked. Yeah. This yeah. is Dr. Jacob Miranda. We're going to be pretend yeah. now. Yeah, um, we definitely yeah. will. We can do it sometime. We can talk about this off the <laughs> You don't want to show people how the sausage was went, <laughs> but no. we should probably do it off recording. This is not what they came here for. They're like, oh, they're planning logistics on a wind. <laughs> uh, so looking at this wind to meet. <laughs> Jacob, are you pulling up your Outlook calendar now? I'm like, yes, dear. <laughs> Oh, goodness. But yeah, other than that, Cassie, do you have anything else um, to say? I I don't think so. Looking forward to putting out some new episodes soon. Yep, yep, yep. Getting our feet wet in the water. Now we get to go back into a deep dive. Yep. And then for anyone who's ever listening, you know, if you're following us on Twitter, right, we still have like a very small following, but you know, we're trying to build up. Things take time. Um, If there's topics that we could cover that you all would be interested in, Hit Cassie and I or the Corrupting the Youth Pod a Twitter account up. And like, yeah. yeah, we would love ideas. Or Instagram. I'll you know what? I'll uh, <laughs> Cassie's on that Instagram. I think she I heard. like Instagram. We ha- we hit 50 followers. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, you know what for academic podcasts? I don't know if that's good about, but that feels good. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't I mean, that feels good to me. I don't know. I'll I'll open up like a, a submission thing on our Instagram story sometime soon and like try to solicit some topics. That would be so cool. So we'll do All right. that. All right. Ready okay. to say bye, Cass? I'm ready. <laughs> Three, two, one. <laughs> bye. Bye. Hello, hello again. We just wanted to thank you one more time for listening to Two Random Weirdos. If you want to listen to us ramble some more, we'll be posting episodes hopefully bi-weekly on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Fingers crossed. If you want to get in touch with us, we can be found on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at CorruptYouthPod. Or feel free to email us at CorruptingTheYouthPod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and helping us spread the corruption. Bye. Bye.